If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. Pinks, how lovely to see you again. It's been a while since we've had you on the show. I know. I've missed you. I've missed you. I've missed Formula One. I mean, what's happened? This is ridiculous. Four weeks off. Four weeks. So it's been crazy, isn't it? And I'm still feeling, I have to say, Pinks, a little bit full after the fry up I had uh, yesterday, Sunday morning. It's a bit of a tradition in our household to have a massive fry up and watch the start of the London Marathon. Oh, (laughs) wasn't it brilliant? There is actually a Formula One link to yesterday's London Marathon because Marcel Hook dominated the men's wheelchair race. And let me tell you a fact about Marcel Hook. Pinky, unless you know it already. Can you read my mind? This is something to do with Sauber, isn't it? Yeah, yes, spot on. Ah, there's no flies on you. Yes, so Marcel Hoog won his fifth London Marathon on a wheelchair that was designed by Sauber. This is what I love about Formula One. Well, just one of the many things is its relevance to the wider world. Many people think it's an elite sport that doesn't connect with the bigger stage, and yet it does. There's so much out there that's inspired by or created by, dreamt up by the great minds in Formula One, and that makes me so proud. Doesn't it? It really does. I I met Marcel at the Sauber launch, Alfa Romeo launch, sorry, earlier this year, and there was a wonderful moment when him and Bottas were just having a chat, comparing their sports, comparing vehicles, if you like, and yeah, it's just a a brilliant cross-pollination of F1 tech uh, going into another world, isn't it? But you weren't running the marathon. I did look for you among the among the 40,000 people. My best mate did it. Kirsty Gallagher did it yesterday. I was really proud of her because she had a poorly foot as well. I am going to do it next year. Will you do it with me, TC? Well, you heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen. Natalie Pinkham is going to do the London Marathon next year uh, without... I've said it now, haven't without, I? You have, and it's going to be without me, I'm afraid. I did it a while back, and it's an amazing, amazing experience. What is so brilliant about that race, it is a race for everybody. The atmosphere is fantastic. So, Pinks, I will come and cheer you on if you do it next year. Love it. Well, I just hope it doesn't clash with the race, but um, if we get another four-week break... Do you know what I thought you were going to say? Life is a marathon, not a sprint. And I was about to say to you, well, actually, we do have a sprint this weekend. Pinks, that's the best segue we've ever had on the show. That's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to F1 Nation with Tom Clarkson and me, Natalie Pinkham. Now, finally, we can say it is race week again. Formula One returns this Sunday with the Azerbaijan Grand Prix in Baku. So as we say, we've had four long weeks off, but fear not, friends, because we have got five races over the next six weekends. My goodness, it's a veritable feast. And if they're anything like the first three, then we're in for a real treat. Max Verstappen dominates the Bahrain Grand Prix and takes victory at the season opener of 2023 with a superb drive. That's uh, exactly the start of the season we wanted and needed. For the fifth time in Formula One, Sergio Perez wins. It's Perez on top at the Saudi Arabia Grand Prix. It's a Red Bull 1-2. 
and Fernando Alonso takes a century of podiums in Formula One. What you have done, guys. I'm so proud of you. And the Australian Grand Prix is go. So much debris out here. Red flag for the second time in this Grand Prix. Can you believe this? What? And Fernando Alonso is spun round by Carlos Sainz. Perez is off the road. It's Max Verstappen with the lead. Then it's Hamilton. And there's a crash at the back of the field. Into the wall goes Gasly. And it's absolute chaos on the restart. Oh, it's deep. He's deep stroll into the corner. It's total, total chaos. Maybe because we don't complete a lap, we go back to the same positions. It happened in Silverstone. For the first time in his Formula One career, Max Verstappen wins the Australian Grand Prix. Is that really only three races? It feels like there's a whole season we've just listed. <laughs> it really does, doesn't it? It gives you goosebumps and makes you feel exhausted all in one. Absolutely magnificent. The Australian Grand Prix was a whole season of entertainment in one race. But Pinks, you weren't <laughs> you weren't in Oz. Uh, so just look, tell us your thoughts. What did you make of the race? What do you make of the season so far? Well, the season so far, what can you say? Three races, three poles, three wins and two one-twos for Red Bull. I mean, they've been in a class of their own, haven't they? I suppose the other big standout story is Aston Martin. I loved hearing that little clip of Fernando Alonso there. He is always on it. He's immersed in his cockpit in the middle of a race and he remembers the precedent set in Silverstone whereby they have to start the race again based on the grid because they haven't completed a lap. He's just brilliant in every sense. It's like he's driver, team principal, technical director, strategist all in one, isn't he? Yeah, Fernando Alonso, just sublime. Anyone who doubted his return to the grid has been silenced this season. Yeah, completely agree. It's such a great story. And funnily enough, Pedro de la Rosa was telling us last week just what a huge story he's become once again in Spain. And Fernando himself has commented that the whole of the Barcelona racetrack is going to be one big Fernando Alonso grandstand, I think was the word he used. How's Carlos Sainz going to feel about that? (laughs) Well, I mean, he must have thought that the baton had been handed on to the younger generation. I hope Carlos still has a strong pocket of support. Yeah, but that's what a career more than 20 years does for you in Formula One. The longevity brings just such a depth of fan base, doesn't it? In Spain and around the world. It's been a brilliant subplot to this season. What about Mercedes, Pinks? What do you make of of their progress so far? Well, I do feel progress is exactly the right word. Obviously, it's been a difficult start to the season, but I think Australia felt like a significant step forward. And they're making all the right noises now, aren't they? I think this four-week break actually, ironically, could hamper Red Bull more than their competitors. They've been able to bring upgrades because if you remember, this isn't a shutdown. This isn't like the summer break. They've been able to carry on functioning as usual, but without the distraction or the potential loss of parts that a race brings. They've had the reshuffle of their technical team. I'm interested to know what you think of that. And Toto has talked about consistently bringing upgrades over the coming races. So this potentially could bode well for Mercedes fans. Well, and Pinks, we are going to be speaking to James Allison, who has been reinstated as technical director a little bit later in the show. So we'll get the lowdown on that. And in terms of guests, we are also going to be having another big guest. We've got Alpine's team principal, Otmar Safnauer, joining us as well. Probably going to be commenting on the crash uh, in Melbourne, when, of course, Pierre Gasly and Esteban Ocon crashed into each other at that final 
restart with just a couple of laps of the race to go. But uh, that's going to have impacted their season from a budget cap point of view, from a spares point of view. So we'll get the lowdown on that from Otmo. But before we do any of that, Pinks, let's just have a think about Baku and what we've got coming up this weekend. As you've said, it is race week. We can say that for the first time in a month. But also we've got Big changes coming this weekend. None of it is confirmed yet. The teams are going to get together tomorrow, Tuesday, to confirm changes to the format. But our understanding is as follows. Yeah, I have to say, TC, I do hope these changes are confirmed because this really excites me. This is a new take on the sprint race format. There's going to be just one practice session on Friday morning with the Friday afternoon session, a quali session for the Grand Prix itself, for race day on Sunday. Saturday will be a standalone day in the race weekend. FP2 becomes quali for the sprint race. And the result of the sprint, therefore, has no bearing on the Grand Prix itself, which changes the mindset of the drivers as they go in to the sprint. Do you like it? I do like it. I love the fact that Saturday is now going to be a sort of standalone event with a, a quali and a sprint race only geared towards the sprint. And then, of course, the Grand Prix, the bit that we know and love, 51 laps of Baku will be unchanged for Sunday. And of course, the grid for that will be set on Friday, not the result of the sprint race, as was the case before. But need to reiterate, Pinkle, that this is only our understanding. There are still a few hoops to jump through this week. But everyone is keen, I think, to, to reinvigorate the whole of the Grand Prix weekend and make every day really important. And with 34 points available now over the course of the weekend, every day really matters for the drivers. They've got to nail qualifying on Friday because that is the grid for the main event on Sunday. They've got to nail qualifying on Saturday morning for the sprint because there are now going to be points available down to eighth place in the sprint itself. So every day matters. Bring it on. Can't wait. I suppose the only controversy, TC, remains whether Baku is the right place for a sprint race. Christian Horner has been critical of it because it is a very tricky, challenging circuit where we see a lot of crashes anyway. And this brings into question, I suppose, the concern over the cost cap and the fact that Christian doesn't want any more jeopardy. He wants to sort of ride this wave of performance that they've been enjoying over the last three races. You don't want to bring in any external pressures because, I mean, for goodness sake, just look at Baku. Baku is always dramatic, isn't it? There's so much jeopardy around Baku. I mean, you can think about Vettel and Hamilton behind the safety car back in 2017. You can forget that sort of bumper car moment. Ricardo and Verstappen in 2018, which of course was the first domino that fell towards Daniel then leaving the team. Leclerc, I am stupid. The crash <laughs> in Quali in 2019. And of course that 2021 Verstappen tyre blowout, just five laps before the end. He was on for the win. Who can forget Hamilton with the, uh, the magical, not so magical button when he botched the race start in 22. Yeah. And then who can forget Leclerc leading the race and then having an engine blowout, double DNF for Ferrari. If you then factor in a sprint to that as well, I mean, I don't know, edge of the seat stuff. It's great for the fans. It is great for the fans. It's that little bit of jeopardy that we always want. And it's an unforgiving street track, isn't it? There is very little runoff. 
So if you make a mistake, you are going to be punished. A lot of what you've just listed were not mistakes by drivers or drivers crashing into each other. Okay, forget the Hamilton Vettel moment six or so years ago. I don't know. I think actually it's a, it's a good place to introduce it because it's going to focus the minds of everybody. It's a really difficult track to set the car up and they're only going to get one practice session because it's a street track. It's 90 degree corners. It's very slow, except for one massively long straight which in 2016 saw Valtteri Bottas do, I think, 378 kilometres an hour in a straight line. So it's fairly low downforce track, except it's a really slow track for most of the laps. So drivers don't have the grip they need. And it's just uh, an invitation for, for Jeopardy. And I, and I welcome that. And I think we've just had a four-week break. So I think the teams have been able to manufacture a lot of the spare parts that Perhaps they were lacking at the first three races, so they've got spares. What you don't want, let, let's imagine Alpine have a similar end to this race that they had in Australia with both cars being knocked out. You've then got to, in the barrier, you've then got to rebuild those cars. Even if you've got the spares, there's the lack of time because, you know, everything's got to be shipped to Miami for the following weekend. So time will be a pressure more than spares. And then the implications on the cost cap for the remainder of the year. But bring it on. It's going to be a, a magical weekend. Love Baku. Modern day classic. Can't wait to get started. And you know what else? You know what else we've forgotten? It's really windy. Yeah, it is, isn't it? What's it called? The City of the Winds or... I don't know. Is it the City of Winds or Land of Land Fire? Land of Fire. City of Wind. Fiery Winds. And it's 28 metres below sea level. So it's just got all these slightly quirky stats about and names. <laughs> Which I think is going to confuse our listeners. Can you explain why it's below sea level? Well, I can't, other than it's 28 metres below sea level. It's in a big hole, I suppose, isn't it? Um, <laughs> but this does have an interesting effect on, on the engines, of course. They've got maximum pressure and oxygen and things, which, of course, later in the year we go to Mexico City, which is two and a half Ks up. So everything's much thinner and lighter, but lots to look forward to. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Now, as we said earlier, there's been a big shake-up on the technical staff at Mercedes. James Allison has been reinstated as technical director. Now, that's the job that he did for the team during their dominant years when the team won championship after championship. James is replacing Mike Elliott, who led the creation of the 2022 and 23 Mercedes. With those cars, Mercedes have slipped down the competitive order. So, what does all this mean? TC has been finding out from the man himself, Mercedes' new, old technical director, James Allison. Well, James, you're back at the coalface again. How come? Well, I'm missing it. No, it's, um, we just had a, a bit of a examining of our own navels here in Brackley and between Mike and I concluded that the pair of us can cover the ground reasonably well, but um, that perhaps I was better suited to the short-term fighting of a championship of the car and and that he was the much better chess player of the pair of us and that he would be better suited to to doing the job I was doing as a CTO previously. So we jiggled it about and came up with something that we think is a better fighting machine overall. 
how much persuasion did you need to come back? Because I remember you telling me back in 2021 that one of the reasons you stepped back to the CTO role uh, was because you wanted to just have a bit more time at home. Well, that was very real. Um, I don't know how much your listeners would care to hear this, but I'll splurge it out anyway. But I mean, this a lot of that goes back to the very, very long and tragic shadow cast by my wife dying and um, and being lucky enough a few years later to meet somebody else who uh, at the time was living in France and um, working in France and had all her life in France and had done for 20 years or so. And when she kindly, some would say foolishly, agreed to come and cast her lot in with me so that we could live together, she was giving up an awful lot. It was a little unfair, or it seemed a little unfair f- from my point of view to to cast her adrift and say, thanks for coming over to England. I'll see you five minutes a week. The stepping back from the frontline role of technical director allowed some space for our relationship to flourish um, in a way that would have been tough otherwise. But but that was over two years ago now that Clemmy moved over and um, and she has her you know, some roots in, in this country now doing doing her own thing uh, that doesn't depend on my my face. And um, and so it, it's much more believable, much more possible now to do this than it would have been two and a bit years ago. So, um, yeah, bit of a long answer. Uh, there you go. James, everything looked pretty good in Australia, it has to be said. So, so why are you making the swap, if you like, with Mike Elliott now? Well, I don't think um, I don't think that this decision is is particularly dependent on the the fortune of the car at a given race weekend. It was based on a sober assessment of what the pair of us are are best suited to, and uh, and we think that the overall fighting strength of this team is is maximised by by this role swap. And I mean, let's hope that that Melbourne is just the first step in a in a general pickup and recovery that allows us to get more competitive by the weekend. But Mike and I are convinced that um, with the jobs that we're setting out to do, um, that we'll be playing our best part in, in that recovery uh, in, in the time ahead of us. Now, as CTO, the previous role, how much were you involved in, in the concept of W14 and how long will it take you to get back up to speed, if you like, with the new regs? Well, I was um, much less involved than I had been as a technical director. Uh, I was more maneuvering around in the sort of 2026 space than in the here and now of the current car. It certainly is, you know, a fair old chunk of, of effort to get, get up to speed with everything. Uh, not not merely the, the regulations, but, um, you know, the full engine of the factory and, and and the race team and all the things that are currently in play in the championship fight but it's it's exciting and fun and interesting and uh, a pleasure to be back um up to my neck in it what do you see as the strengths and weaknesses of the current car it's reliable touch wood if i can find some uh that's that's a definite strength uh, it's got a, a very quick pair of punters pedaling it around you know, it's better than most of the grid out there, but until it's the quickest one, it will always feel like a weak car to all of us. It's adequately kind to its tyres, but not as good as some of the cars that we've made in the past. 
It's got more downforce than most of the cars on the grid, but not sufficient. Its handling characteristics are leave a little to be desired and need need to be worked on for sure. Um, but I, you know, none of this stuff is revelatory. We've been talking about it most weekends, and and it's part of what this team needs to address to to get winning material back in our hands. A lot of changes to the W14 are expected in the coming races. Does the flow of new parts begin in Baku this weekend? Uh, no, the flow of new parts has already happened. You you pretty much have a different car every weekend. You take it racing. Uh, sometimes it's a few more parts, sometimes a few fewer. Um, but we've had new things for each of the races. Baku won't be any exception. And I would hope that we can keep that coming. Um you're constrained by cost caps and stuff eventually, but uh, we're at a stage of the season where there's still plenty of firepower there to keep putting lap time on the car weekend by weekend. So, James, where's your battle this year? You know, are Red Bull out of reach? Is it Aston Martin? Just what are you thinking? Try not to think really in those terms, just uh, concentrating on what are the areas of opportunity on the car? How quickly can we fill those opportunities with hardware or different approaches with the expectation that that will improve our chances at any given weekend the sooner we can do that and on the steepest slope possible the better our chances will be in in any given weekend and uh, up against any given team and and in a championship um but you know we're completely realistic about the the significant performance of of the red bull and and particularly max um they're going to be extremely worthy opposition to hunt down and uh and in due course overtake and is there one particular race that you have in mind that you think will will suit the car you know aston martin are talking openly about their car hoping hopefully being strong in monaco is there one racetrack that you think will suit you no not really the it's quite early in the season to be diagnosing what you're what your car is great at or what it isn't great at because the car's not a fixed thing. It's a platform that develops all the way through the year. Uh, if I had to pluck something out of the air now just to answer your question, I'd say that we tend to be a little stronger at the front-limited circuits uh, rather than the ones that are heavily rear-limited. So Bahraini type track is all about how, how well a car will look after its rear tyres. Um Melbourne was a bit more on the front-limited end of the spectrum. Other front-limited tracks, Barcelona's one, Silverstone another. Um, so, but, it, but honestly, it feels too early to be predicting that because uh, these are young rules, this is a young car, and there's plenty to give to it. Well, great as ever to hear from James. Uh, he always offers... A decent level of insight, doesn't he? And hopefully he'll do just that back in the role that he's so comfortable in. And actually, for me, this decision feels like the team wrapping themselves back up in that comfort blanket that is him in that role that brought so much success. It's not a big step into the unknown, if anything. I don't want to use the word retreat, but it is a sense of battening down the hatches and getting back to what they know that brought them such success. Yeah, but if... It brought them so much success. Why wouldn't you do that? I mean, Red Bull have done a similar thing with Adrian Newey, haven't they? There was a period five years ago where Adrian took a bit of a, a back step from the Formula One program and did things like the Valkyrie, the you know, the high performance Aston Martin road car. And 
He did all that kind of thing. And then with the new regulations that have come in last year, he then got back more involved with the F1 programme and look at the results that they've had since he's got more involved again. So I completely get why Mercedes are doing this. And I think James is... He was working three days a week as chief technical officer. He's now back full-time, coming back to races as technical director. Not only has he got a brilliant technical mind, he's a huge motivational force within the team. I mean, you know him as well as I do, Pinks. He's, isn't he? He's, he's so articulate. He's so competitive, just like Adrian knew, actually, that I think he'll just reinvigorate the team. And as they're bringing forward all of these changes, you know, to look perhaps a little bit more like the Red Bull I do think he is the cog that they need right now. And talking of reinvigoration, perhaps stepping back will be just the thing he needed to now really hit the ground running and come back with a vengeance. Yeah, well, he always said, no, no, I wanted to slow down a bit. That's why I've... It was his choice Mm. to step away, by the way. It wasn't, you know, Mikey Elliott coming in as, you know, this is our, you know, the person we need as our technical director. It was James saying, please, can I do a little bit less? And so for him, I wonder, I'd love to know how the conversations went with Toto Wolff about getting him to come back full time because, you know, he's been involved in Formula One for more than 30 years. And, and you and I both know that it's a demanding existence, isn't it? And it's a stressful existence if you're in a role like that. But he loves it. And as I've just said, he's a brilliant technical mind. And, and I think we will see results pretty quick. Now, of course, the team that James left back in 2016 was Ferrari. And it's been a really frustrating time for them, hasn't it? Two DNS for Charles Leclerc in the first three races. Carlos Sainz's five-second penalty at the Australian Grand Prix upheld after Stewart's inquiry. So no points for the team at all in Melbourne. I don't know. I've got such a huge amount of sympathy for him in that moment. Haven't you? Well, except there was no new significant evidence that they brought forward to the stewards. And yes, I think it was probably a harsh decision. But, you know, we all know about cold tyres, cold brakes at a restart, particularly as they were all on a hard, hard compound tyre. So, you know, their argument didn't wash with the stewards and I understand why it didn't. And a point that Pedro de la Rosa made last week, I think we can't start altering the results of races after they've happened it was it was tough but it is what it is and there are some t- that's sport that's sport there are the ref sometimes makes a harsh decision they're fourth in the constructors championship already 97 points behind red bull fred Vasseur has insisted they'll continue with the updates to the current car rather than reverting to a plan b and they are bringing a new aero package for the level of downforce in baku well pink's Everyone's bringing a low downforce package to Baku. So I'm not convinced that that they're doing anything different perhaps to anyone else. But I still believe that every cloud has a silver lining. And I think for Ferrari, the fact that they are fourth and 97 points off the leader just takes the pressure off Fred Vasseur. He's just come in. He's three months into the job and he can now make the... If they were battling for the championship, it would be difficult for him to make the changes that need to be made at Ferrari to ensure their long-term health. Whereas because they're now not oh, in the championship... come champion, on, Tom. Why do you disagree with it. that? You think they would still make the changes if they were battling for the championship? I, no, but I just feel like we've been talking about these long-term gains for Ferrari for such a long time. Like, you know, come on, let's just get on and do it now. And also coming into Baku, this is not a happy hunting ground for the team. We mentioned it earlier, double DNF last year. 
absolute shocker. They don't exactly arrive in Azerbaijan with confidence. Just three podiums. And as I say, a double DNF last year. Just three podiums ever in Baku for Ferrari. That's terrible. Yeah, it's not a great record. It's not and, good and, enough. But <laughs> it isn't good enough, Pinks. But I feel they do need to make fundamental changes to the way they go racing. I don't think there's much wrong with what they're doing back in Maranello because I think last year's car was quick. We saw that. And I actually think this year's car isn't as bad as fourth place in the Constructors' Championship makes you believe. But it's the way they're running the car operationally at the weekends where there need to be changes. And I think if they were challenging Red Bull for the championship, perhaps they wouldn't want to destabilize the race team by making the changes that I believe they need to make. Whereas now, because they're not at the sharp end, they can make those changes. You're talking, therefore, about a cultural overhaul. I mean, how long does that take? Well, yes. (laughs) (laughs) And if you know the answer... (laughs) You might want to apply answers for the job. On, yeah, answers on a postcard. F. Vassa, Maranello, Italy. Um, it's all about just maximising the potential of a car on a weekend and they keep dropping the ball. So I think it's uh, from an engineering perspective, they need to make changes. They've made changes already to the strategy. And actually, I think they made some good calls this year on that front already. But it just takes the pressure off. I'm not look, I want to see Ferrari win. I think Formula One needs a competitive Ferrari. Charles Leclerc, Carlos Sainz need a competitive Ferrari. Just make it happen, our boys in red. Please just make it happen. Um and actually I know you say Ferrari have got a terrible record in Baku because they do, but Charles Leclerc actually is brilliant in Baku. He was in the junior formulas in Formula Two, he was very strong there. He's always been quick. He's just whether it's been an engine failure or he then do you remember a few years back he crashed uh, in FP3, which affected his qualifying, obviously. But if he can pull together a whole weekend, I think Charles will be quick this weekend. Now, Pinks, since you were last on the show, McLaren have finally got their first points on the board with that uh, double points mm. finish in Melbourne. What was it? Lando P6, Oscar P8. The biggest gainers from that chaotic finish. I mean, they didn't exactly, well, I mean, it's a bit unfair to say they didn't win it on merit, but it was great to see Piastri finishing the points at his home race. But you have to say that 2023 has been a big disappointment for the team so far. Yeah, but they, I think, are hoping that Baku is where it starts to get better. They're introducing a new okay. floor, a new floor this weekend. And so much downforce is generated by the floor with these regulations that it, it really could be a game changer if they've got it right. So let's hope that's the case. What do you think of that driver lineup, Lando and Oscar? I love it. I'm really excited by it. No, I think there's plenty of people out there that want to see McLaren come good. They've got a strong driver lineup with these uh, two young guns. And as you say, major upgrade, the first of three planned apparently for the team. And they uh, expect a decent uh, step forward from all three. So I think on paper, certainly Lando and Oscar seem like a good pairing. And Oscar feels to me from the outside looking in has really kept his head down and it is working hard. It's difficult to see what the dynamic is truly like. I think that will evolve through the year. In terms of the organisational changes at the team, a bit like Ferrari, it is, well, it certainly feels like a year of transition. And I think perhaps they will start to reap the benefit of that 24 onwards. What do you think? Well, I know I agree. I mean, the wind tunnel uh, comes on stream later this year. So that's going to benefit next year's car. They've made uh, these technical changes at the top since the departure of 
technical director, James Key. David Sanchez, who's going to be in charge uh, of the chassis design, doesn't start until the 1st of January uh, 2024. So, of course, his input isn't really going to be felt until the 2025 car. So there is a while to wait. And I think for Oscar Piastri, that doesn't matter because he's learning the ropes in Formula One. For Lando, different kettle of fish. I think he's desperate to get his hands on a good car. He, he knows he's good enough to win. He nearly did that a couple of years ago in Russia, didn't he? He wants to win races. He sees himself on a par with Max Verstappen, Charles Leclerc, all the rest of those young guns. And he just doesn't have the equipment. How long is he prepared to wait? That is going to be one of the unfolding stories over the next 12, 18 months. TC, let's talk about Alpine now. Last time out in Australia, Pierre Gasly and Esteban Ocon collided. It's actually worked for the top three. It's going to be close to contact. And there's a crash at the back of the field. Into the wall goes Gasly. It's total, total chaos. Red flag again. Absolute chaos. Wow. Both Alpines are out pulled up here on the right-hand side. One after another, Gasly and Ocon with parts strewn everywhere. Oh, my God. Red flag, red flag, red flag. I mean, can you imagine Paul Otmar watching that? They collided at the restart, promised so much. Not just Otmar, there's a thousand people working for that team. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. But I just, you know, head in hands, head behind the pillow, watching at home on the sofa. Neither of them, of course, finished the race and the team fell to sixth in the constructors. So how is the harmony between the two teammates? We've talked about it endlessly. And can Alpine bounce back in Baku? Here to tell us all is team principal Otmar Zafna speaking to Tom. Absolutely. It was an unfortunate incident um, at the end of the Australian Grand Prix. You know, it wasn't uh, just our drivers, although they they came together and ended their race. But I I saw a picture of of the restart and it seemed like there are others pointing the wrong way across track, off the track. And uh, I think the the caption was the best drivers in the world, and they're all over the place. But I guess that's what happens when you when you have a standing restart with just a few laps to go. Uh, there's a lot at uh, at stake, which is the the ability to win a Grand Prix, and everyone's bunched together at the end. You know, usually with three laps to go, there are significant gaps in between drivers. You know, maybe one or two are racing for position, or maybe more, but the entire race you're working at uh, creating gaps and then when you bunch them all together with uh, with just a couple laps to go it's not uh, it's not a surprise that you know everyone takes a little bit more risk for that big reward which is a race win how difficult was it for you to deal with the aftermath of that not that difficult i mean once it happened we just had to logically and uh, and carefully review what happened and and see where things could have been done better to to be able to avoid it but you know it was a it was a racing incident uh pierre went off came back on track esteban tried to get by him on on the right hand side i think there is a driver who did get just did get by and pierre not knowing their drivers coming through on that side tried to get back on the racing line for the next corner so it's just a natural thing and things happen that happened that quickly um, it was just a, a bit of a learning exercise after what could have been done because it in you know hindsight's uh, twenty twenty so you should look back and learn but it was a racing incident and uh, no hard feelings um, we just have to move on and do better next time. Do both drivers see it as a racing incident? 
both of your drivers, Pierre and Esteban. Yeah, I mean, uh, they're both a bit contrite. Um, Both of them at the beginning thought, ooh, you know, maybe that's my fault, maybe that's my fault. Um, So when that happens, when you have 50-50, then you kind of know that, um, yeah, they didn't didn't see it coming. Both of them were, ooh, yeah, you know, had I not gone off, this wouldn't have happened. Had I not tried to go by him, this wouldn't have happened. So it was like 50-50. What kind of impact does an accident like that have on the mood in the team? Because a lot of points went begging. Yeah, a lot of points went begging. And had that incident happened, say, with two races left and you're in a fight for fourth or third or uh, fifth, then it has a bigger impact. But with 20 races to go, two, three th- good things came came out of that race. One, although aided by DRS, we were able to stay with uh, Ferrari of Science, and even without DRS, stay ahead of um, the Aston with Lance in it. Uh, so those were the the positives from, from that race. And then the other big positive was the fact that as soon as the accident happened, the entire operations here at Enstone got together, didn't wait for a report of, uh, you know, this is damage, that's damage, we have to replace these suspension members or a nose or a front wing, they could kind of see what happened and uh, straight away got onto uh, diverting some of the manufacturing resource into making further spares, but without losing the upgrade that was planned for Baku. And that is a tremendous effort by everybody here. Um, so we will be going to Baku with the uh, planned upgrade and, you know, for probably an hour or two before everyone got together, it was unsure because you definitely have to remake spares as a priority over the upgrade. Uh, but now we're we're off to Baku with the planned upgrade as well as with ample spares after the crash. Were the two chassis okay after the accident? Um, they were okay in, in the fact that they were repairable. So, yeah, we didn't lose one. You keep mentioning uh, the upgrade for Baku. C- can you put a little bit more f- flesh on the bone as to what we're going to see this weekend? Well, as as you know, it's uh, a lot of the performance these days, aerodynamic performance anyway, comes from uh, from the floor. Uh, you know, as we have ground affle- effect floor now, so it'll be no secret to to tell everyone that you know we, we've got an upgrade on the floor. We've got an entirely new floor, so uh, that's what it is. A couple other small little bits, but predominantly the floor. Okay, so the upgrade is coming. The spares are in place. But how does an accident, a double accident like the one you had in Melbourne, impact on the rest of the season? And I'm thinking, of course, about the budget cap. Yeah, so we, you know, we plan in, in, our, in our budget cap uh, to spend a percentage of our money for crash damage. You know, it's, uh, we look back in historically... We know what an average year looks like for crash damage and how much that costs you. And, you know, having a a crash like that early on just means that you've expended some of that crash damage budget early. So at this point, it has zero impact on our plans as to what we do, uh, the upgrades that we're bringing. Uh, So as of now, uh, no consequence whatsoever. And what about the sprint this weekend? Does it leave you a little nervous, given that Christian Horner, for example, is, I think he predicting mayhem, I think was one of his quotes. Yeah, I 
it's hard for me to predict uh, extra mayhem when we're only really changing one session. So we're going to have a, a sprint qualifying session and then a sprint race. Well, in the past, we had a sprint race anyway. So we had a sprint race, a real race, and one qualifying session. And now we're going to have two qualifying sessions, a sprint race, and, and then the main race. So the, the difference is, instead of having a free practice session that we had before, we will now substitute that with a, actually a shortened qualifying session, I believe. We're debating and voting on that at a Formula One Commission meeting. So if it all goes through, the only difference will be that uh, instead of having a free practice session, we're going to have qualifying for, uh, for the sprint race. And I hope that doesn't cause mayhem. Now, we focused a lot on, on Melbourne so far in this chat, but can I just ask for your assessment of the season so far for Alpine? You know, it's only three races in, but are you pleased? Pleased with some components, and, and that component is uh, we've now analyzed our relative competitiveness, and uh, we've made gains on uh, Ferrari and, uh, and Mercedes uh, so far. We've lost out a little bit to Red Bull and the team that have made the most gain that we're racing or hopefully we'll be racing against is uh, Aston Martin. So, yeah, we've done a decent job over the winter. Could have been better, but we still haven't optimized. You know, we had we had a decent race in um, Australia, uh, running fifth until nearly the end, and then a red flag and we come together and we lose a bunch of points. So, the good news is the competitiveness was looking better in Australia at their last race. The bad news is we got zero points. So to me, the most important thing is the competitiveness. The, you know, the points will come. As long as we have a competitive car, the points will come. And we're not quite to where we want to be. So therefore, we have to outdevelop our competition. You know, our, uh, our development curve has to be just a little bit steeper than the others so that we can make up that three, four tenths of a second that we're behind. And I know everyone else says that too. You know, I've, I've seen Mercedes say a similar thing for them to catch Red Bull. They have to be on a steeper development curve. So that's what we're all trying to do. And, uh, somebody will get it done. I just, uh, hope it's us and we're working hard at making sure that, uh, it is us. Well, your P6 in the Constructors' Championship at the minute. You say you've lost out a little bit to Red Bull. It seems the whole field has lost out to Red Bull. But where is your battle now? I mean, McLaren a fifth, Ferrari a fourth, Mercedes a third, Aston Martin a second. Are all of those in the crosshairs for you guys? Or is it just McLaren at the minute? No, I think they all have to be. To me, if you're fighting for fourth this year, you're fighting for second. It's that close. You know, so we've got to get up there and, and be able to fight with Mercedes, Aston, and and Ferrari. You know, I think that group of three are really fighting for second. And if we can get ourselves, like I said, three-tenths, four-tenths, relative to the others a bit quicker, then we'll be in that fight too. And that has to be and is still our target sitting here today with only three races behind us and 20 to go. And look, final one from me, Otmar, regarding Pierre Gasly. Is he completely at one with this car or is he still getting confident with it? He's really, really close. But I think, you know, there will be marginal gains. It's not that he's not at one with the car, but there's just in Formula One, you got to get everything right. And uh, 
it just can't be done in three races. You know, you spend your entire career at either Red Bull or Alpha Tori or Toro Rosso in that environment. And then you move to an environment that is different. Yeah, we're both in Formula One. We're both have similar objectives, winning races. And we both have uh, cars that uh, comply with the technical regulations and we comply with sporting and financial regulations. However, there's loads and loads of differences that takes time to get 100% comfortable with. So there's more to come out of here. Omar, thank you very much for your time. Great to chat. And I'll see you in Baku in just a few days' time. See you in a few days' time, Tom. Thank you. Well, thank you, Otmar. And uh, as he expressed earlier, the unintended break has been useful for building up spare parts. Let's just hope they don't need them in Baku. You're listening to F1 Nation. So I'm guessing you think F1 is one of the greatest sports in the world. Formula One in 2023 is go! And the more you know about F1, the more you love it. F1 is everything. F1 is life. (laughs) That's right. But let's be real. There can be a whole lot to wrap your head around when it comes to F1. You saw those slot gap separators. There is a lot of science on these structures. Yeah, enough of that. We're here to help. Welcome to Formula Y. I'm Katie Osborne. And I'm Christian Hugill. And every week we're here to help find answers to some of those questions you've had about Formula One. What I'd love to know is why are F1 sprint weekends so much harder? Why do F1 drivers have to be so fit? Why do F1 teams need simulators? Why is racing in the wet such a challenge? We'll dive into what Formula One is all about, being joined by a team of experts along the way. This podcast will help you learn everything you need to know about the brilliant world of Formula One. And if there is a question about the sport you want us to answer, email YWHY at F1.com. Search your podcast app for Formula Y, hit the follow button, and get ready for our first episode. Welcome to Formula Y. Now, what about Aston Martin? Can Alonso get win number 33 this weekend in Baku? He's had some brilliant races there in the past. He's certainly got a good car underneath him. We know that from the results we've seen this year from the team. But also, I've been speaking to their technical director, Dan Fallows, for this week's Beyond the Grid podcast, the sister podcast to F1 Nation. And he explained to me why this year's car is so superior to last year's. The car just wasn't what it had the potential to be, I think, as a, as a brand new concept for a new set of regulations. So this is probably really the car that AMR22 should have been. One of the things that we managed to do last year was to sort of look at the whole car from nose to tail and say, what can we improve and what can we do? And I think that's it's a testament to the, the sort of talent and commitment of the people who, who are here and some of whom have been here for many years. They're given the opportunity to take that sort of overview of the car and say, OK, let's critically analyse what could we do if we had the time, if we were able to engineer it in a, in a better way over a longer period of time, what could we do? And the result is the car we have now. And it's, from my point of view, night and day compared to AMR22. I mean, it really is night and day. And I think actually there's no one more pleasantly surprised than the team themselves, than, than Fernando. I mean, and of course, Lance, but Fernando went there on a promise he didn't expect it to be delivered this soon. And I mean, it just is like, it's some kind of fairy tale for him in the sort of latter stages of his career. I, I just think it's brilliant that he's able to race potentially beyond this year and the next because he's got this the shot in the arm of this really brilliant car. I mean, it's just breathed new life into his career, hasn't it? 
I saw a quote over the weekend, Pinks, from double world champion Emerson Fittipaldi, who said that he thinks Fernando's got another six years left in him in Formula oh, One. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. It's yeah. so good. You say Fernando went to Aston Martin on a promise. I know that he sat down with Dan Fallows, who's been technical director of that team for a year, almost exactly a year. And he's an incredibly impressive man. I know that from having sat down with him for an hour at Silverstone at their factory uh, a couple of weeks ago. He is very logical in his outlook. He's very articulate. He's very competitive. Do you know who he reminds me of? James Allison. He is an impressive character. And I think Fernando will have sat down with Dan and said, yeah, I can see that this is all pointing in the right direction. And uh, I'm going to sign on on the dotted line and and you know this car is what AMR22 should have been according to Dan and and actually another thing he says in the interview I won't give it all away here is that they haven't even started thinking about next year's car because the regulations stay pretty similar over next winter so they're just focusing on this car they want to improve this car as much as possible because there'll be so much carryover into 2024 so the car is undoubtedly going to get stronger and stronger as the year progresses and someone else who's going to get stronger and stronger is Lance Stroll because the start of the year was a difficult one for him he managed to battle his way back from that horrible injury from coming off his bike uh, put in some great results and he arrives at Baku must be full of confidence because it is a circuit that he has driven very well at of course getting his first podium there back in gosh when, when was, was it 17 17 yeah with Williams wasn't it yeah and, and literally quite literally getting stronger as well Pinks not only in terms of confidence with the car but with the wrists getting stronger the broken toe getting stronger yeah and, and there's real harmony in that team I feel now Everyone hugely motivated, and I think Fernando should take a lot of credit for that. But also I see the two drivers bouncing off each other, not literally, but just in a very progressive way in meetings. I could just see them, you know, discussing the car, and I'm told that they like similar things in terms of setup. So that is a team on the move. And um, yeah, I can't wait to see what they can do in Baku. Yeah, me too, TC. But looking at Baku as a whole, I remember saying this last year, it is really difficult to predict what happens in Baku because as we've alluded to, there's always drama, there's always jeopardy, there's always some subplot that sort of upsets the apple cart a bit. But what do you think? Red Bull are looking for their third consecutive win there. Those long straights clearly benefiting them. Perez, a very tough time last time out in Australia. He'll certainly be glad to be heading back to a street circuit and one that he's got such a strong record at. Four of his five wins in Formula One have come at street circuits. He just loves it, doesn't he? Yeah. A circuit like Baku seems to favour him so well. He won there in 21. He had a podium in 22, 2018 and 2016. He'll be itching to get back. And actually, Baku is the perfect place for him to try and deliver a strong result and get his championship back on course. What do you think? I completely agree. And... Talk to any engineers that have worked with Sergio and they will tell you he loves short radius corners. And there's a lot of 90 degree stuff in, in Baku, which is made for him. That is where he's really strong. Uh, as you say, he loves street circuits. He's got a great record in Baku. I think the DRS advantage that Red Bull have over the field is really going to help them down that gazillion mile pit straight. And so therefore, 
it's very hard to look beyond Red Bull for the win. But the jeopardy and all that sort of thing that we've talked about so much in this pod means that, you know, if you're a Fernando Alonso, I think if you're even a Charles Leclerc or a George Russell Lewis Hamilton, you know, they're going to be thinking there is an opportunity here because, you know, something could happen to Red Bull. And let's say that does. Now tell me who you think is going to win. It's anyone's race, isn't it? If the two Red Bulls have a reliability issue or crash out, it's very hard to predict who would win without those two cars up the front. I mean, I hate making predictions at the best of times, but for Baku, forget it. <laughs> and as for that gazillion mile straight, you were right. I have run that with Anthony Davison and Paul DeResta, and I was floundering in the back. It is long, it is hard, and it's hot. And it's windy. There is so much to contend with there, but it makes it a great spectacle for all of us fans. Does indeed. So look, let's give our podium predictions. I'm going to go for... I'm getting in there first, Pinks. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I noticed I, that. I think Max Verstappen is going to win it, you know, driving brilliantly in the best car. I think Checo is going to run him really close. I think we could see a stunning race between those two. I wonder whether this is where it could all slightly kick off between the two teammates, maybe, in the way that it did at Red Bull with Daniel Ricciardo and Max back in 2017, was it? 18. 18. So I'm going to go the two Red Bulls, one and two, and I think Mercedes are going to do it. Lewis on the podium, last time out in Oz, and I think Lewis is, yeah, I like the idea of Lewis. P3. I'm going to go with a, a Red Bull, an Aston Martin and a Mercedes on the podium, but I'm not going to tell you which driver. <laughs> <laughs> but I think we're going to have three different teams on the podium. There you go. That's my prediction. Well, that would be brilliant. That would be brilliant for Formula One. Uh, are you talking about the sprint or are you talking about the Grand Prix itself, by the way? Oh, good point. Good point. Oh, yeah, we could cover it all off, couldn't we? I just can't wait. It's been a long drought without Formula One, but it's back this weekend. Right, let's check in with our F1 fantasy team, F1 Nation Racing. Our two constructors for Australia were Red Bull and Aston Martin, and our drivers were Verstappen and Alonso, then Perez, Piastri and Albon. Verstappen was our top scorer, and Perez picked up plenty of extras by winning Driver of the Day, gaining 15 positions and taking fastest lap. But we lost points on Albon for the second race in a row after his DNF. We'll make some changes to our team in a moment, but first, let's see who's top of our league, the F1 Nation World Championship. We have a new leader with Scuderia, that's Scuderia with four R's. They're on 1,042 points after giving Perez the double DRS boost. Previous leader, Silverstone 2022, is second on 1,029 points, so it's very tight at the top. And in P3, it's Beans Mean Science on 1,027, just two points off second. And what about our team, F1 Nation Racing? We're currently 275th out of 974 teams in the league, so not too bad. But let's make some changes to try and climb up the standings. We're going to spice things up by replacing Perez with George Russell. He'll be fired up for a strong race after his retirement in Melbourne and he won the last sprint race in Brazil last year. After two DNFs for Albon, we're going to swap him with our other recent Beyond the Grid guest, Yuki Tsunoda. He got his first point last time out and he's hungry for more. And we've also been a bit cheeky and applied the no negative chip so we can't lose any points this weekend. 
And remember, the deadline is earlier this week because of the sprint race. You have until the start of qualifying on Friday to make changes to your team, and you can join our league at any time to compete against us and other listeners. Search for the F1 Nation World Championship. And if you're not playing yet, it's not too late to join, and it's totally free. Just search online for F1 Fantasy to sign up. Then choose your constructors and drivers using a $100 million budget. Well, thanks, guys, for listening. We are back for Baku very soon indeed. And uh, that'll be next Monday with our review of the 2023 Azerbaijan Grand Prix. F1 Nation is produced by Formula One and Audio Boom Studios. 